The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Ransom 
Oh, how I pray. How I pray. Your chains are gone. I've been crying out all morning, asking Jesus to remove the chains. There are two spheres, and all of humanity lives in one of those two spheres. One, mankind lives under the rule of God's almighty law. And no one can be made righteous by the law. All it does is point out the sin. All it does is make plain the condition of the heart. If you're still walking in known rebellion or sin against Almighty God, you are living under the realm of the law. Now, you may call yourself a Christian. You may even say you're saved. But if you're living in sin, you are under the law. The law will condemn and does condemn all sin. It is not partial. It is utterly impartial. If you call yourself a Christian and yet you walk in known rebellion against the Almighty God of heaven, if you are not one with him, if you have not been born from above, if you have not been crucified with Christ, you are under the law. If you say to me, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with very specific areas of sin. And right now they have the victory. And I haven't made a decision to break free of that. And as my dear brother William says, if not now, when? If not now, when? Because as long as you're walking in any rebellion against Jesus, against the Father, you are under the law and you are under the penalty of the law and the penalty of the law is death. Romans, the sixth chapter, the last verse. The wages of sin is death. Now there is another rule that you can choose to live under, and that is the rule of the Holy Spirit. And those who live under the rule of the Holy Spirit have been made righteous and no longer walk in any known sin. Now, we're in such trouble in America because the church... Slowly, step by step, under the leadership of its pastors, has been utterly deceived into believing that it can live in sin and not be under the law and still be saved. I want to read for you 
several passages of Scripture today. I'm going to begin with the NIV. Now, I have to tell you, for those of you who say the King James Version is the pure version, it also makes the same mistake, and the King James Version will lead as many to hell as the NIV in mistranslation. This is a crucial issue, and I beseech you to do your own research and understand what I'm saying to you, because your salvation depends upon it. It's going to be almost, I say almost, because nothing is impossible with God. It's going to be almost impossible for revival to come to America because the American church believes it saved in the midst of its sin and has no sense of its guilt before God. We have no sense of the wrath of God against sin. We have, in America, believed the lie that we live under grace and that grace is a, a blanket that covers us so God doesn't even see our sin. What a wicked, wicked lie this is. Now, let me just read for you several passages. Romans, the third chapter. I'll begin with verse 19. Romans, third chapter, verse 19. The old NIV. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, everybody is under the law. That's what he's been speaking in the first part of chapter 3 of Romans that there is no one righteous, no one who deserves heaven. For all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and are now justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now here's where the word is not translated appropriately. What does the word justified mean? And almost everyone will say the word justified means that my past sins have been forgiven. That's not what the word justify means. It is an old English word, and the root meaning of justification is to be made righteous to be made righteous. The Greek word 
dikasune is the word used in the Old Covenant when sin was declared righteous, when you were declared, but but the sin still remained and remained until Jesus came on the cross. But in the New Covenant, Paul uses this word dikasune in its appropriate meaning to say made righteous. See, when a man is brought to Jesus Christ, what is the first thing he must do? He must confess his sin. And he must repent. So he repents. And what is repentance? Repentance is turning away from that sin. It's finished. It's no longer in my life. So let me read this now in a modern translation that is literal. Beginning in verse 19. This is Romans three nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to the ones in the sphere of the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be under judgment by God. So if you're still walking in sin, and yet you think by some shell game trick, you've been made righteous while being left unrighteous, all that's happened is your eyes have been to your true condition before a holy God. And in that great day of judgment, you're going to recognize that you were utterly deceived. And so it is, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, At the very end of it, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And list all these good things. And he'll say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Or depart from me, you sinners. In other words, their sin was not hidden from Jesus. Their sin was not covered over by grace. They were held accountable. And they were cast into outer darkness with gnashing of teeth, with with weeping and wailing because they were utterly deceived. Now listen, verse 20, because no flesh will be made righteous before him by means of works of the law. I cannot be made righteous by obeying the law. I can't keep the law. That is in my natural self. But listen to this. For the law is full knowledge of sin. Now, at the present time, apart from the law, righteousness, and that word literally means innocence, out from God has been made known. In other words, All through the Old Covenant, everyone believed that righteousness came out of the law. But in the New Covenant, it's finally revealed that righteousness comes out of the very heart of God. It has been made known, being confirmed by the law and the prophets. Indeed, righteousness is out from God through faith 
by means of Jesus Christ to all and upon all one's believing, for there is no distinction. For all conceivable men sinned and fall short of God's glory, being made righteous freely by his grace by means of the redemption in Christ Jesus. What an awesome understanding we need to grab a hold of with both hands. We can be made utterly clean without sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we are not, we continue to live under the law. Now, I want to continue reading. I want you to see that what I'm saying is the honest context of Romans, the third chapter, whom God and no other set forth an atonement by means of his blood through faith to declare his righteousness because of passing over of sins having been previously occurred in the forbearance of God to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time to be just himself while making the persons righteous by means of faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It was shut out completely. On the basis of what law? Of works? No. But by a law of faith. Logically, therefore, a man is made righteous by means of faith, apart from works of the law. Or is it God, the God of the Jews only, and not also the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God is one, he will make the circumcision righteous out of faith and the uncircumcision righteous by means of the same faith. So we do not set aside the law because of the faith. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish moral law. Now, did you catch it? Something so powerful happens in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ that when it is applied to the sinner, he is changed. He's made into a new creature. When a man or a woman comes to Jesus and the blood is applied, he is born from above, John, the third chapter. That was the message to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said, how is that possible? Can an old man enter into his mama's womb again? No. No. This is the very heart of the gospel. That we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we don't do away with the law. We establish the law. I'll read it, and it's translated correctly in the NIV in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. How could we uphold the law if we continued to violate the law? A Christian who has been born from above 
is not made righteous by the law. He is made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is changed. He is transformed. The chains are broken. And so I have to ask you the very real question today. Have your chains been broken? Or are you still walking in sin? Are you upholding the law of God or are you violating the law of God? If you're violating the law of God, you are under the law. For everyone who breaks the law, whether they believe they're under a covering of grace or not, will find themselves at the judgment bar of God cast into outer darkness. And the struggle that I'm having as I've been crying out to God about revival in America is that revival cannot come so long as the church refuses to recognize its true condition before a holy and righteous God. How can there be conviction of sin if we believe that our sin is covered by the blood of Jesus and no one can see it? And when God looks at me, doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. And so I'm good to go into heaven with my sin. What a despicable, demonic lie this is. And it's a very recent origin. It is a despicable lie. And yet it is the common belief of the American Christian. Am I walking in sin? No, I'm not. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. How can you say you're not walking in sin? We all walk in sin. No, we don't. Saved people don't walk in sin. Do you understand? If we all walk in sin, none of us have been saved. What have we been saved from if we're still in our sin? Just some cheap shell game has gone on? And Jesus has left us to be ravaged by the devil? Is this salvation? No. This is a modern trick of the devil. So I ask you again. Are your chains broken? Have you been set free? Has the blood of Jesus Christ washed you and cleansed you? And now do you live in the sphere of the Holy Spirit? I want to look at three passages of Scripture today that I think will be helpful to you. The first is found in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You must not be deceived. Paul is writing this to the church. He's writing this to the church. He's not writing this to pagans. He's writing this to Christians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You must not be deceived. 
And then he begins to be very specific about what sins he's addressing. And he's not playing a shell game where, oh, you're covered by the grace of Jesus and Jesus doesn't see you while you fornicate or Jesus doesn't see you while you commit idolatry, while you put people and things and money ahead of God, which is all idolatry. Greed is idolatry. It is all a wickedness before God that is a part of the condemnation of the law. He said, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, the effeminate, those who engage in same-sex activity, thieves, those who covet, the drunkards, the abusive people, the swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I guess that really puts to lie, doesn't it, the whole ugliness of the modern church's demand that none of us be considered without sin. If I cannot be considered without sin when I am in total obedience to Jesus, then what's the point of being a Christian? Verse 11, and these things some of you used to be. Some of these things you used to be, but you're not anymore. You were washed. You were made holy. You were made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You've been made righteous. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been changed. I know a man. He's living with a woman he's not married to. And I've said, you know that sin against God. And his response, Pastor, my sin is covered. I am, I am saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Now, I'll lose some fellowship with God, perhaps, and I'll lose some rewards when I get to heaven, perhaps. But I'm on my way to heaven. I said, brother, you have been utterly deceived. And on that day, Jesus is going to say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. He's not going to allow you into heaven. Holiness is never spoken of in the future tense in the New Testament. It is always in the present tense. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Hebrews, third chapter, fourth chapter. Today is the... Hebrews 12. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now I want to continue reading for you. Verse 19, this is 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, whom you have from God, 
and you are not your own. For you were redeemed with a price, or you were bought with a price. Therefore, you must glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I want to read that same passage for you. In 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, I mentioned something yesterday that I'd like to come back and speak about again briefly. There is a human faith that we exercise in the human space, in the human realm, under the law. We refer to it as positive thinking. I know many worldly men and so-called Christian men and women who operate in the principles of positive thinking. And they operate in what they call faith. And you can do that in the flesh. And you can accomplish often a great deal. You can start a new company by faith, taking it one step at a time. And it will seem that things will unfold before you. And you can accomplish great things. I know many churches that have built in human faith and hard work and good strategies, and guerrilla marketing, bringing in the right entertainment, bringing in the right music, doing the right surveys of the community, getting rid of the cross so you're not offensive, getting rid of the offering so you're not offensive. Human faith can do much. But there's another kind of faith. And that's the kind of faith that moves mountains. It's the faith that is divine faith. And it has at its core real righteousness. I've learned something about faith. This may be new to some of you. I remember when I was just beginning this journey, this school of the Holy Spirit, I would go to the Lord and cry out and pray and pray and pray. 
And finally, I would just say, yes, I know it's going to happen. I'm just going to trust God to make it happen. Sometimes it happened and sometimes it didn't. Because I still, even though I was on the journey, had not yet walked into being born of the Spirit. I still was under the law. I was still operating in human faith. But as the Lord changed me, and this I now walk in, I will come to the Lord and I will pray about a specific matter that I feel is of great urgency. Whether that be the cost for this broadcast or whether it be a sick loved one, a sick believer that needs desperately to be prayed for. First, I have to pray and understand from the Lord, what do you want to do here? If he has revealed his will to me, and that's very plain, then I have a ground for standing on the promises of God regarding what I'm praying for. I always pray the promises of God. I don't pray for anything without praying his promise. Now here's the difficulty. Without real righteousness... Divine faith will not work. Without real righteousness in your life, divine faith will be dead, and all you'll be left with is human faith. I'll be praying about a specific issue, and suddenly will come the faith of God My spirit will be quickened. I'll know God is in it. As I continue to pray, and often the Lord will not answer a prayer quickly because he wants to grow me up in a specific area or he wants to mature me in a specific area. And so I have laughingly said, I stand on the promise until the promise comes and stands on me. And what I mean by that is that as I pray, and that scripture comes and stands on me, there is a change that God is wanting to make in my heart. May not be anything to do with sin. In fact, usually it's not. It's usually a growing up, a maturing. He gives me a knowing in my spirit. And suddenly God's faith comes to life in me. And I say, okay, I don't need to pray anymore. It's done. It's done. I'll now wait on God. 
and he will answer. And the mountain is moved. Now, please, you may have to listen to this several times. Faith that moves mountains is faith that is grounded in true righteousness. Where I have been bought by a price. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am not grieving him by walking in sin or rebellion. I am walking clean before him. Anything I do, I'm aware, is this the will of God or is this not the will of God? Does he want me to go here or does he not want me to go here? Some of you are free to walk in the law and be very religious. But you have no assurance of faith. You have no assurance of salvation. You have no assurance in your heart. And so the chains are still there. The old man is still alive in you. The word says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Do you understand when you live under the law, you have stolen yourself from God and you are a thief. All men are called to come under the authority of Almighty God and those who refuse to do so will be cast into the fiery furnace. I was created by Almighty God, and then promptly, under the heritage of Adam and Eve, I stole myself away. I have now returned myself to Almighty God, and he bought me back. He paid a price. He died on Calvary. Now, there's another scripture that I want you to look with me at. Romans, the 12th chapter. I summon you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he needs your body. He needs you to move out of it and allow him to move into it. The scriptures say, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service. The only spiritual service God wants from you is for you to allow his Holy Spirit to move into you so that he can move in the salvation of the lost and the dying. And not to conform yourselves with this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is good 
and well-pleasing and the perfect will of God. So in other words, as we come to Jesus, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as temples of the Holy Spirit. And he's willing to come in and conform us to his will, to his likeness. He's willing to renew our minds and our hearts and our spirits so that we no longer walk in sin. So a man who says to me, I'm always going to walk in sin. I say, mister, the reason you're going to always walk in sin is you still have a claim on your body. You have not surrendered your body to Jesus Christ. You still think you belong to yourself. You're still a thief. And so you can go do whatever you want to do. You can go eat whatever you want to eat. It's amazing. The snowstorm. I went out and was working on my car. I had some help shoveling it out. And then last night I went out and I said, I better go out and get some dinner somewhere. I'm hungry. I'd been fasting for a couple days. As I went out, a very kind gentleman and neighbor came out and he said, Pastor, I just made hot chili. Here, have some. And he gave me a a big container full of the most delicious chili I think I've ever eaten. I said, Lord, am I to eat chili on a stomach that's been empty for two days? Yes. And the Lord made clear, I don't want you to go out. This is dinner for you. Go in and eat your dinner and come and sit with me. I want to talk with you. Praise God. Even the little things he will take care of. Now, I could have scrounged through my cupboards and found something and and spent a lot of time preparing it. I didn't want to do that. The Lord provided for me. I want you to know the provision of God is the normal in my life, not the exception. This gentleman said, strangest thing happened, Pastor. I was in the kitchen and the Holy Spirit said, take the pastor next door, chili. He said, that hasn't happened to me before. Praise God. We serve a God who is so kind and so merciful in every respect. He cares for us. Now, there's one last passage of scripture that we need to deal with before I close today. And that's over here in Colossians. I'm going to begin reading for you in Colossians, the second chapter. Verse 6, As therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, You must continue walking in him, 
having been rooted and being built up in him, and being firmly established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, you must watch out lest there should be anyone leading you astray with philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the elemental things of the world, and not according to Christ. That's what's happened to the American church. We've been deceived through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men that teach you can never stop sinning. You're always going to be a sinner. It's a lie. Verse 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are in him having been made complete. How can you be having been made complete and still be a sinner? That's an oxymoron. It can't be true. Who is the head of all rule and authority in whom you also were circumcised with a circumcision, not of human origin, but by the stripping off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, with whom you were also raised by faith in the workings of God and the one having raised him from among the dead, and you being dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having shown himself gracious to us with reference to all the trespasses. doesn't say part of the trespasses. It says all the trespasses, all the sin. And I want you to see that this is a a stripping off of the body of flesh done by Christ Jesus in your life. Under the law, we struggle for self-improvement. Under the grace of Jesus, it is done for us. And it is done completely. Every lie of the devil is that Jesus did not do a complete job of of deliverance by his precious blood on Calvary's tree. Now, I want to read for you. Therefore, do not let any man judge you in eating or drinking or in the matter of a feast or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of the coming things, but the substance is of Christ. If then you were raised up with Christ, were you raised up with Christ, or are the bondages of sin still holding you fast? It says, you must seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You must set your mind upon things, not upon things of the earth. For you died and your life has been hid with Christ in God. Wait a minute. Was my life only partially hid with Christ in God? No. My whole life has been hid with Christ in God. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. 
Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Are you washed and made whole? See, this is why I've read portions to you from different writers who talk about this incredible work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. But it's going to take zealous prayer on your part to enter into what I'm describing today. And believe me, I'm still walking in zealous prayer and fasting before God, asking for the full measure of his Holy Spirit, asking for the Pentecost baptism, not for the Pentecost baptism, but that I might know Jesus in all of his fullness and in the righteousness of God's power flowing through me for the salvation of the lost and the dying. But if you're content to say, no, I'm saved. You're lukewarm, you're blind, you're naked, you're miserable, but you don't know it, so you're a happy camper in the midst of your wickedness. You go listen to the worldly church, you listen to the entertainment, you listen to the little inspirational stories, a few tears and a few laughs. But basically, you know, your life is given as the pagans is to making a good living and having a wonderful American lifestyle. So you're busy. You serve on the committee to build the new church and you serve on the committee to do this or that. And maybe you're a deacon or an elder. Maybe you even preach. Maybe you play in the band. You're part of the entertainment of the hour. But in your inner heart, you know you're not free of the bondage. And I want to speak now to those of you who who have a cry in your heart. I want to be free in Jesus. I want to walk clean in Jesus. You can. The provision was made at Calvary for you to be born from above. But you're going to have to enter into a time of zealous prayer and crying out to God, asking him to bring real understanding and conviction regarding your true condition before him. For we all as Americans have been so proud and so deceived and so full of ourselves that it's hard to hear the truth. It's hard to hear the truth. But the truth is, if you've not been raised up and seated with Christ, you're still in bondage. I want to pray. Almighty God, I want your people to come into a full understanding 
of their spiritual condition before you. As they have continued to lust after the things of the flesh and the world and the devil, calling themselves a Christian, believing that they're saved in the midst of their darkness, and yet their heart longs to be free. I pray, Lord, you will call them with great conviction to begin to cry aloud and pray to you as they've never prayed in their lives. And that you will begin to bring into them true righteousness. And you will transform them into your likeness. And you will bring revival to America. Lord, thank you, I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to go further in the book of Romans. We're going to finish out today that third chapter, and chapter four is what we dive into tomorrow. My brother, my sister, I look forward to hearing from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'm very concerned for the American church. I pray you lift up your heart to Jesus. God bless you. Talk to you soon.